everybody. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of October 8th, 2021. Charles Hain, uh, podcaster, filmmaker, bike dude. I'm here with George Edelman, editor-in-chief of No Film School. Hello. Kath Tolentino, exceptionally honest to her own detriment filmmaker. <laughs> Hello. I'm still laughing about bike dude. Oh, yeah. Love total it. bike nerd. Um, <laughs> and this week on the podcast, we are talking about Strike authorization <laughs> vote, which is not the same thing as a strike, but an authorization vote is still pretty exciting. Just to talk about something else, we're going to talk about Russia sending a film crew to space because, you know, not everything's about the strike. In tech news, the internet, or specifically this one hacker in Switzerland, already figured out how to get the depth map out of the iPhone 13 Pro. All that. And an Ask No Film School about solidarity this week on the No Film School podcast. All right. Our first topic this week is the IA strike authorization vote. So a little bit of context. IA is short for IATSE, which is short for a very long official union name. And IATSE is the union that represents 60,000 film and television workers across the United States and some territories of Canada. And every movie and TV show that you love has an IA crew. And they would like that new media pays the same as everybody else. New media is like Apple TV and Netflix and HBO Max and and all of the things that constitute media during a pandemic. And they have this sweetheart deal where they pay less than everybody else does. And IA is like, you guys should pay the same as everybody else because you're basically a real company now. It's not like 2006. It's like the internet's not, you know, a joke anymore. It's like ruining democracy and is employing everyone. Um, and they want rest periods in between shoot calls, like really enforced turnaround times so people can go home and sleep. And they want a raising of the lowest rates really focused on the lowest rates and getting everybody on set to a living wage. God bless these demands. They're great. MPTP stopped responding to IA at a certain point because they were like, okay, well, we have all the money and the power, so we're just going to sit this one out and you're eventually going to give. And so IA did a strike authorization vote. And I have to be honest, I have a very like, my Twitter is about two things, like left-wing politics and bikes. And I admit, it's very blinkered. It makes me think that everybody in the world is like a lefty biker. I accept that. So I was a little worried about the strike vote because I was like, everybody I interact with is, would would vote for this. And, but like, maybe, uh, maybe I'm in a bubble. And then like over 90% yes vote uh, uh, voted to authorize a strike, which was like, it was resounding. 98%. Um, would, well, it, it, it depends. 98% yes overall, but then certain jurisdictions hit 99. Like local 600, the Cinematographers Guild hit 99. So you're like, People were like, yes, we will strike. This is dumb. We all want sleep. We mm-hmm. all just want lunch breaks and sleep. Can you please just stop? The, 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 the hours we work in film are stupid. Let's stop. And I was like so heartwarmed. I was so thrilled. And like I was, with, I was in class when the answers came out. And like I was like, all right, guys, we're going to stop class and check Twitter and see what happened. And my students were psyched. They were like, this is great. One of my students was like, I don't dream of labor. We should work four days a week. I love making movies. I want a three-day weekend. And I was like, you guys rule. They're great. So, you know, this doesn't immediately mean strike, obviously. Strike authorization just means that the IA negotiators have that in their pocket. And within hours, AMPTP were like, hey, so maybe we should keep talking. Nice. Which is what you... Nice. Yeah. And it gives you a tremendous amount of leverage as a union to say, hey, guys, 99% of my membership is willing to strike over this. So you should give this to us or we will shut it all down. And it has happened before, and every time it shuts it all down, it does cost the big studios a lot of money. So it's a super exciting time. So do we have a sense of the timeline? Like, is it just a matter of when they sit down to the table to talk again? Was did they vote? I mean, I'll go back to 2008, the last strike I went through, which was not an IATSE strike. IATSE hasn't really done a strike this big ever in their 128 year history. There was a strike right after World War II in 45, but it was just California. I think it was much smaller. It was not a nationwide strike, and the industry was different then. 2008 is the closest thing, and 2008 was on a similar issue where the WGA was like, "Hey, so you guys are like streaming stuff on the internet now. We should get residuals from that because we get residuals when the stuff we wrote play on TV or in movie theaters." And the studios were like, nah, the internet's not real. So, like, you don't get residuals from that. Um, and so the so WGA wild. struck over it. 
I mean, it's just so what? The argument they really made was, hey, guys, we're like trying to figure out what this internet thing could even be. So could you give us like a little time while we like figure it out and like let it grow? And then then maybe we'll talk about this later. And the WGA was like, no, 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 no. You always talk about the money up front. To quote Hard Eight, the first rule of hooker school is you get the money up front. Um, <laughs> which is uh, a line from P.T. Anderson's debut feature, Heart Eight, also known as Sydney. And the WGA was like, no, like we write these things for you for money and you give us residuals when you make more money off of them and you're charging people to watch them on the internet so we should get money for internet streaming, which is now the only place people watch, watch them. And so my memory of the WGA strike is that it is a longer process than you think as the negotiators dance. So I personally don't have a great guess on timeline. Jo- George, you might have a better guess on timeline. My suspicion is that if a strike is going to happen, it will be in the next couple of months. I don't think that we won't like, I think that with this in their pocket, the IA leaders would, I think they have a lot of power at the negotiating table. And so, yeah, if they go to the table and the MTPT is like, well, we're back at the table, but we're still not going to do anything, I think it could be fast where the IA could be like, all right, let's do this. I suspect the MPTP doesn't want to strike either and will try and give some things. Yeah, that's my assumption as well. I think you laid it out all pretty well. This is an authorization to strike. It's a bargaining chip for the IOTC leadership at the table. You know, there are questions, and I've asked my friends, I've asked a few people to appear on this podcast, but it's been harder to get people. This is a sticky subject in for the business affairs world, but I've asked folks if they want to come on and talk to me about it from the studio's perspective. You know, what's at stake? You know, one of the big pieces of this is the streamers, like Netflix and Apple TV, and the weekends. And I am not sure if Netflix is part of am i don't know if like i i have some questions about that i don't have answers to about how the streamers will be impacted by these negotiations specifically because i know that's where a lot of the weekend issues were coming from but there's a whole lot of stuff on the table here there's all kinds of problems beyond just what you'll see on ia stories which are in many cases things like better hours and full weekends and benefits. There are things like there aren't PAs and assistants in unions. There's a host of stuff that could be unlocked here. There's a potential for big, big changes with the strike looming because, yeah, I don't. I think strike at this time would be devastating because we're just coming out of a really rough period and I, have you guys noticed that, you know, box office numbers that we see reported now are, I keep seeing record setting and I'm like, record for what? And then the fine print is like the pandemic era. Like, come on. <laughs> but our, either way, like we're, we're, we're kind of crawling out of this sort of kind of here. And I think that a strike that shuts down production of this nature would be devastating to a lot of people and their livelihood all across the industry. There's no, none of these parties want that. So yeah, the question is how much can they get? They being a Yahtzee. And the question in, you know, this is something I wrote about on the website and something that I'm really fixated on as an individual within all of this is very quickly before strike off vote happened this week, but it was looking, I was pretty confident from what I was hearing that it was going to happen. There was so much support in the community, in my feeds, that I saw from people all around the industry. I stand with Yahtzee. I, you know, this, that, the other, like supporting these, this, this idea. And a lot of these people are not union members. And a lot of them are union members or guild members above the line. And I think that there is something of an inherent hypocrisy. It's not limited to this sector, it's across our world, certainly our nation, where you're going to get people who who want to say the right thing and they'll post the right thing. But I don't know how often people put their actual money where their mouth is. And I think that this is something we should be wary of and aware, we should be aware of, and we should call it out and, and identify it because this is a very easy time to say, I support 
this. But that doesn't mean actions will follow. And what I mean by that is there are lots of ways somebody very powerful, like as a for example, why don't like the guilds, like why doesn't the Writers Guild want to join IATSE, for example? Like why is there like there are producers who are also writers who are also benefiting from every aspect of people working longer hours and harder for less money because they're still going to make a lot of money above the line. They're going to get all the credit for the thing when it's done. It's going to build their career, et cetera, et cetera. So all the folks below the line and non-union are really the ones putting in all the, it's one thing to thank them and say, I stand with them and support them. It's another thing to be willing to actually make changes that impact you instead of just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they should get to the negotiating table and get everything they need and want. It's another thing to say, look in the mirror and recognize that maybe these massive overalls some people are getting are getting in the way of the ability to have a sustainable business model that allows for everyone to make a living wage. I mean, there are limits in some cases, not in all. I mean, we know, like, for example, Netflix is like trading on debt, right? So I think, personally, I think there's a lot here beyond the obvious. And I think we should hold everybody accountable to what they're down the line to what they're saying. My favorite thing on IA stories that I've seen recurring is when somebody will say, hey, I just saw a showrunner I worked for post about how much they love you and how much they stand with us during this time. And they like worked me to the bone and took advantage of every opportunity to do so. And I love seeing that because that's where I'm like, yeah, it's very easy to say, you stand with and you support. How about how you treat people who work for you? I think how about this is that? A, I think this is a really great line of conversation that we're headed down because you're right, George. Like, it is very easy to just sit on Instagram and like things or repost things. One of the best posts that I've seen recently is from a friend of mine who, ident- you know, like many of us, identifies both as the worker and as the above the line person in the indie space where he like... The lines are blurred there. (laughs) Yeah, and we've all been in that situation, right? Like we've all, you know, many of us at least have been on both sides of it, even if it's just making your own short films, right? And like crewing your friends. And so he said, you know, of course I'm in support of the strike and also want to just like be vulnerable here and share that I've been on the other side as well and, you know, had 12 to 14 hour days on a short film shoot. And at the end of one of them, one of my friends ended up crashing his car. And like, it's important for us to really look inwards now and think about how we can better support each other when we're in that role, because it, it can feel hard to, to, to make that connection, right? Like as someone who's been, who was a PA for several years, I'm like, hell yes, strike, get what you deserve from the studios. But also I need to recognize that I myself am a producer now and still as I'm thinking about like how to budget for a film or how to schedule a film, I'm like, cool, so 12-hour days, do-do-do-do-do. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. It's like this automatic. I've done it yeah. so many times where you're making a schedule and you're like, okay, so how much can we work in a day? How right. many days can we work in a week? Because otherwise, there's no way I can make this movie, right? Right. And I, that, that's a great. common... That's, that's, that's a reality. I, I'll share a couple quick ones. Like I, one of my PA experiences that I've talked about before and written about is, you know, it, but one aspect I haven't shared necessarily is that it was some unions, not all unions for this particular project or show. And <laughs> because I was a PA, they would often be like, oh yeah, all the union people have to go home at that time. But George doesn't. So he can do it. And that's, that's how it worked. Totally. And every department had a couple PAs or assistants where it would be like, oh yeah, well, the PA can drive the truck back afterwards. And like, so this was me, you know, a 19, 20 year old or 21 year old in a city I'd never been in before GPS driving a truck, very unsafe circumstances after a long shoot, having worked the most hours and been up the longest. Because that was the only way to do it, to follow union rules. So who does that really benefit? You know, like when you get right down to it, like it doesn't really, it benefits the ability to kind of cut the corners, which I, as an indie filmmaker, I respect the need to do it. So like when I've been the indie film producer and I've had, you know, maybe 
hey, you got to take out the trash at the end of the shoot, or we have to take this RV over to the RV place and empty the black water tank or whatever. I would kind of be like, one of my things was I would want to ride shotgun with the PA to do it, partly because it was a small thing and it felt like the right thing to do, but also because they were, they had, they stood to gain the absolute least and they had to do the absolute worst. I stood to gain arguably the most. So I think there's a way, my point of my anecdote, anecdotes here is I think there's a way to handle yourself understanding the landscape and be respectful and, and, and safe as safe as possible. Whereas I think there's a way to do it. That's just like, that's the, you know, that's the way it works. That's, that's showbiz, which I think is a really horrible, shitty refrain that we all that everyone falls into often. That's just like, sorry, you're a PA. You're you're lucky to have the opportunity to potentially die driving home tonight oh my God. in a truck. I remember <laughs> yeah. you're, you should, you're, people should be lining up for that. You work at the you serve at the pleasure of the executive producer. Like, nah, fuck that. I remember you know? one of the first jobs that I landed as a commercial coordinator, a, a production coordinator for a commercial shoot. And I didn't realize that the coordinator role was like an exempt position and therefore that I wouldn't get overtime. And so I was like tallying up my hours. I'd worked a 23-hour day that week. I turned in my timesheet and the manager was like, oh, no, 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 you get $400 for that day. <laughs> like, it's just so flat. I was like, huh? <laughs> yeah. I just like didn't, no, it's, I, I didn't it's, know. And there was like no, like why does it have to be that way? There's no reason that it has to be that way. That's totally a situation where you could you know, do something nice for someone who works for you and not just say, oh, you know, that's the way it is. But I think well, it would be the fuckery great. of who we call management in the film industry is rampant. Because as soon as you call someone management, they're no longer, it's, they're all exempt, right? Exactly. So people who are workers who don't have control over their own time are still given some sort of like associate junior co-producer title so that they can just work infinitely on a flat. Exactly. That is like all of reality television. Yeah, it's nuts. I, I think it, we here on, on the No Film School podcast, it'd be great to do an episode where we talk about like, cool, how to bring the values that we're standing up for as workers to our work as producers, specifically indie producers, because so many of us are hybrids, right? Like, what does this mean? Oh, that's beautiful. Of, what does this mean in terms yeah. of like how to plan out your, your feature or short shoot uh, in terms of hours, in terms of budgets, in terms of like how to do this humanely and, and how this changes things from as a producer, you know? Honestly, it's one of the reasons I just felt like I could not continue to be doing some of the things I did because one, it's really stressful and unpleasant, but two, everybody kind of hates you and for good reason. Like you, like when you show up, most people below the line, if you're like a line producer, production coordinator, or somewhere in that lineage of role, everybody comes in with an expectation that you're trying to fuck them. And that's fair. And you're kind of guilty until proven innocent. And I didn't like that. I didn't like feeling like it was just this assumption that I was going to squeeze everybody and that I wasn't being totally honest about how much time or money there was and that I was going to get, I was going to, you know, maximize every cent out of every human life. And, but it's true because that's how it's done because everybody knows there's been countless people come forward through this time and say like, I know there's more money than this because I know how much money they'll throw at the star or I know how much money they'll throw at a hotel room for, <laughs> for like, like, I mean, with like, you just know how much wastefulness and honestly it is wastefulness goes into the entire enchilada in the end, whether it's what is saved for post because they need more money for something there or whether or not it's, what goes into advertising, because that's absurd on, on its own. There's so much money there that it's just like, yeah, so I'm clearly expendable and you don't care and you'll pay me as little as you have to. And that's just, everybody knows that. So it sucks. But the and beauty of unions is, is it changes the math of as little as you have to. Exactly. Because yes, all businesses no. in all places at all times will always pay you as little as they have to. Like, that's yes. not unique to film in any way. No, yeah. It is, it is always, how little can I get away with paying? And the trick is, is, you know, like, the one thing that, you know, I had a production company for six years that, like, founded, and we were doing commercials and music videos and, like, doing budgets for jobs, like, twice a week. And, like, I remember so clearly, while you're doing a budget, you are so conscious of how much everybody you need will take. 
you're like, oh, wow, we need a slightly bigger DP on this one. Okay, well, will Tina take whatever? And like, oh, no, Tina won't. But like, will, you know, Kim, Kim will take, you know, like you're so Mm -hmm. aware of how much everybody will take. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, then the biggest power move is just everybody get together and be like, none of us are taking less than this as a group. Because the thing is, is like, at the high-end studio level, when they're budgeting these things and they're putting together like, okay, I'm doing the streaming show. It's going to be 10 episodes. It's going to be $84 million. They're doing all this math knowing what everyone will take. And so if you get together and you're like, no, no, no we actually need more. Like, how different is 84 versus $87 million on these budgets? Right? <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, I, I think the point that I come back to, the, the really important thing to me not that anyone cares, really, but I'll say it anyway. Is that it's the how much, how little can you pay people? But then, oh, but we have these kinds of people who are just getting experience and we can do much worse by them because they're not in a union. <laughs> and that problem is so much a part of what this industry still runs on. It's an abuse in multiple ways. And I think that that is the thing that that drives me like there there are there there that's i really hope that that's part of what ends up happening here is that we create because here's the other thing a lot of times the avenue towards more legitimate jobs or or more use i should say union jobs a pa job or an assistant job is absolutely legitimate it's just like to get into a u to get up the ladder oftentimes you have to be able to afford to take those abuse Laid in positions, not only financially, but like, you know, mentally, emotionally. And they lead to things. If they were protected by a union, we might get more filmmakers from more different backgrounds because only some people can tolerate these low, no pay things. Totally. So, so that to me is like, it's a, it's an opportunity to create something of a minor leagues or a farm system in a way. That's not just based on people who can afford to be an assistant or a PA. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, you guys, I think really we should, because even there's still this mental block for me about what this means as for my role as a producer and how how to support beyond just like celebrating that they've got the strike authorization vote. You know, it, it has to be way deeper than that. I mean, plan your next shoot eight-hour days. I honestly, I haven't, in the last year, I haven't done a shot that went longer than seven hours. And like everything I am planning, like I'm planning a shoot for this spring and it's going to be eight-hour days. Like that's just my limit. Everyone's getting paid hourly. There'll be no flats and it's just eight-hour days. And like right now in the prep process, I am like, oh, okay, this is like three extra days. I'm like, okay. Like it's just going to be like the deal. And like, why not? Like, I think that's just the simple thing is you just have mm-hmm. to start making the decision on every individual project of like how you are going to do it so that it aligns with like values. Cause like I, I have empathy with both sides of the people in IA stories who are like that showrunner worked me to the bone and also the showrunner who feels support. Cause we can also evolve. Like we were all inducted into the trauma. Like when we started in the industry, I, I remember so clearly being like, these hours seem stupid and older people <laughs> being like, this is just what it is. You want to work in film, get ready. This is the deal. And, you know, I got indoctrinated and I'm sure I gave that speech to a bunch of other people. And I am now embarrassed. I used to give that speech. And like, we, we get the permission to like evolve and grow. I'm embarrassed that I worked people as hard as I did. And like, I was never a 23 hour day guy. I get sleepy. I don't understand how other people do it, but I certainly worked people a lot of 12 or 14 hour days. And like, I think we just make oh, the yeah. personal no, decision I, to be like, I'm not, say, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, I should say also, I asked people to do all kinds of stupid things for low or no pay, thinking that they were getting something out of it because, hey, come, don't you want to do this? Don't we want to make movies? Like, come on, get with the program. Like, I think that we can, we can, like you said, we can evolve and change. We can break the chain. We can stop giving the speech or the line that's been given to us. And we can stop assuming that, that's that just because it's the way things have been done. It's just the way things should be done. All of that. I agree. And I've definitely, I'm, I'm as guilty of being the shitty producer as I am of being a magnanimous kind one. Like I've illustrated as well. Like I played both roles and underpaid people for hard work because there was no other way to make it happen. And that 
you know, is an unfortunate dynamic. I think it's funny though. I love it. Uh, are you, if you're a DP on, on these projects, I don't know if you're directing, producing or shooting or what, but oh, I feel I'm like, like producing, it, directing. I think one of the hardest things in the world would be to get a DP to be like, yeah, eight hour days only because they just love to take their time. I mean, they might want to do eight hour days, but then like do a hundred eight hour days or something. <laughs> That's just my, my thing. Every DP wants time. Lots of time. Yeah, but you don't need all that time together. Like you can, you can, uh, yeah, I would rather, we're shooting extra days. The D, like yeah. the DP will have all the time they need. They just won't have it all in one day. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think if this is a way, if this is a window to um, some of the, these changes, it would be great. But yeah, we'll see. We'll be following it closely, obviously. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, in other news, Russia sent a film crew to space. We just wanted something light that wasn't about striking and labor <laughs> trauma. So this is a fun one. A film production company in Russia is making a film set in space, and they flew the director and leading actress into the International Space Station in order to shoot like a third of the movie will be shot up in space practically. Now, this is not the first time anything's been shot in space, like a billionaire shot a short film in space in 2006 on one of those pay-to-fly rockets, but the fact that none of us knew about that short film before this story means it's probably not very good. And, like, IMAX has done an IMAX film in space that was actually IMAX 3D in space, so it was, like, two IMAX cameras. It was, like, crazy that they did an IMAX 3D in space. But in terms of, like, narrative story taking place in space, I love everything about the story. I mean... It's like partially sponsored by the Russian space program. So it's like partially space propaganda. But of all the things you can propagandize, like I'm pretty pro space. Space is pretty amazing. So I'm pretty excited for more like pro space propaganda. It's also apparently deliberately sort of a like, you know, everybody's doing these private space flights, but we can still do them with like public funding, which is like complicated because Russia. But it's also like, yeah, we can still fly a film crew to space. And I also like that it's they're making a space movie and they're like, you know what? Instead of green screen, what if we just go to space? I'm like, that is yeah. so nuts. <laughs> like, how is this possible? Yeah. Propaganda, like, I, I, right? I really, I, I want to learn more about like how the hell they're pulling you this know, off. <laughs> do you, like, I, this is where my mind goes, sadly. I was just thinking like, didn't someone try to shoot a porn in space too? I think, I think I think someone did, or I think there was like a fundraiser for it once that was like trying. But Kickstarter, yeah, I think something like that happened. Somebody Google it. No, Kickstarter won't allow adult entertainment. That was one of the reasons OnlyFans <laughs> exists. There was like a big drama about it. No, trust me, Kickstarter is like very deliberately. I'm not making it up. <laughs> I think if we Google it or someone Google's it and and emails into us that it did happen <laughs> i think there or there was an attempt that didn't work this is just yeah this is funny because it feels like this is the thing right now is like randoms going to space like let's shoot a scene in space let's get a billionaire into space and like are are they technically in space every time or are they just breaching the atmosphere really no the billionaires did not make it to space yeah. neither of those the, billionaires wait, wait, wait. are actually right. astronauts but but Elon Musk's space tourist flight went to space, right? But yes. Virgin Galactic oh, yeah, did totally. not. Okay, right, right. Yes. Yeah. But in this case, they're in space or they're kind of in space? They're on the space station. They're so in space. here's what I don't, right. like, there's a combined, there's another news story here that fascinates me is William Shatner is going to space soon, I think. 
And I wonder why he didn't hitch a ride with the Russian filmmakers so they could, you know, like shoot him in the movie. Add some Shatner scenes. I mean, his pace as an actor is so slow, you'd be worried about whether or not you'd shoot everything you needed <laughs> in the time you get in the capsule. You Like, you don't get extra days in the I capsule. Really, oh, you that's are, a good question. Know, what are the... Is it st- yeah, it's working definitely conditions? technically outside of the zone, right? Working conditions are brutal. <laughs> it's in, it's in yeah. freaking space. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think it's like, I don't know if that's like northern zone or southern district, or yeah, I think it's outside the zone. I'm most disappointed, frankly. I imagine Vin Diesel's really mad because F9 famously took the Fast and the Furious franchise to space. And I bet you this morning Vin Diesel is like, that should have been us. <laughs> we should have been the movie franchise to go to space for real. Yes. Yeah, that's my Vin Diesel impersonation for all of you who are excited about hearing my impressions because I know they're like the driving engine of the show. <laughs> okay, moving on to tech news. This is cool tech news. So, you know, we've talked about the Apple iPhone 13 Pro. I've written like four articles about it. You guys should all go check out. Like it is as this new cinematic mode, which does like an artificial depth of field thing, which is actually pretty good and super fun. We made a video about it. I had like a fun day. Uh, took my daughter. There was like a birthday party on Governor's Island and I shot all this video of like the birthday party and I sent the video to my wife and my wife was like, whoa, your camera is way better than your old camera. And like my old camera is 11. So like it is a noticeable improvement. It works. By using LiDAR. So the same thing that like let self-driving cars see light-driven radar is, or laser radar, is there's a little LiDAR like emitter and sensor built into the camera and it builds a depth map of a scene. So it's taking like a picture video, but it's also taking a depth video where it's using LiDAR to tell how far away objects are. And then it uses that LiDAR data to smartly blur out things. They get more blur the further away they get and they get less blur the closer they are. It is like pretty sophisticated. It's actually kind of mind-blowing if you think about where we were with video 20 years ago and where we are now. We always kind of suspected that somebody was going to be able to figure out how to get access to that data. We did not realize that it would be like three days after the camera came out. But, you know, the internet's pretty fast at these things. A wonderful researcher in Zurich, Switzerland, cracked the code and like published on Twitter. And we have an article about it on the website and has links to the Twitter and whatnot of how to do it. And you can literally just pull the depth map out of the video with FFmpeg and a little bit of code. And it's just two video streams wrapped up in one MP4 file. So the MP4 file you shoot has like one audio stream, one video stream of like picture info, and another video stream of like depth info. And they're just all recorded in there together in MP4 format. And they all just, there's like one stream of video, one stream of depth, and then of course an audio stream. And they're all recorded in there in one file, and you can extract it. And what's cool about this is you can then use that depth data in post. So like, let's say you're trying to cut a key and like draw a shape around somebody, and they're the same color as the background, so you can't use like a color key. Maybe you can use a depth key to isolate something for selective color grading. Like, There will be a lot of cool applications for this. Now, what's really interesting is that it actually is surprisingly foreground-focused. So there's a great comparison video, again, up in the article, showing that like the iPhone 12, the LiDAR was much more like focused on like longer range, like objects further away. And the iPhone 13 focuses its LiDAR on much closer objects with much more detail. So it doesn't really bother with stuff further away, but it gives you more information for stuff closer, which is interesting. And I think filmmakers, like if you're going to be shooting, if you're planning on shooting with cinematic mode, especially if you're thinking about doing like a narrative with it, like your thesis film or, or a commercial or something, understanding how it works is good. And like people getting this data on how it works is super useful on our understanding of how to use it as a tool. Sorry, is this out already? The iPhone 13 came out two weeks ago. We, we shot a little video with it or like, I think we did two videos with it. We shot with it a bunch. And then like last Friday, I think somebody, somebody released the, here's how you get the depth map out of it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was like super duper fast. And then it looks like, because these cameras will also shoot ProRes and then Filmic, who's an app maker, announced yesterday, hey, ProRes support is here in Filmic, which is great. If you're shooting video on an iPhone, you should use Filmic. It's really solid. It gives you better access to your controls. But it's also a little weird because I'm like, Filmic, did you jump the gun? Was this early? Like, did Apple know you were going to announce this? It's a little weird Filmic announced ProRes support before Hmm. Apple did. Because, like, yeah. I mean, I don't think Filmic would, like, burn Apple like that. But I also know Apple likes to do things first. 
is weird, but it's support. It support us here. You could. I shot ProRes on the phone yesterday. Yeah, I. You know, talking also about your test. I think one of the things I've noticed that feels consistent with this may be helpful in like layman's terms for people understanding what this mode does. It reminded me a lot of when you use portrait mode on your phones and there's like, sometimes it works so nicely and it falls off and it looks perfect. And then other times there's this weird distortion kind of like around the subject that's supposed to be in focus between that and the out of focus part. You know what I'm talking about? Like it looks a little weird and off. Yeah. Sort of buzzy. Yeah, there's like a buzzy edge sometimes. So you can sort of see that sometimes in your tests. And it it reminds me of my experiences with portrait mode. But yeah, I mean the ProRes thing adds a whole layer to it. And there there's the weird additional functionalities of like people like the the smart aspect to it where it's like it kind of knows what you want to have in focus and not have in focus. That that stuff still blows my mind. Yeah, that it like can predictively algorithmically, for the most part, accurately tell what you want to have in focus and get it there ahead of time is kind yeah, of amazing. It's, it, even it's, if it's not there, like some of your tests, I also was like laughed because like you guys were like, okay, do this. Oh, well, it doesn't know what to do. But the fact that it's just kind of figuring that out at all blows my mind. So, because it means we're going to be there soon enough completely, you know? Oh, I mean, it's the speed with which the tech is advancing on image quality is exhausting and and just about to get better. Like it's crazy. It's, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. All right. And our last item this week is an ask no film school from William Birchfield. Hey, so used to work in LA doing the G and E grind before pandemic took work conditions off the deep end. And I walked away from film and into corporate video. I am now out here working in corporate agriculture video which is awesome, making like sponges and shooting cows, which is like boss. And been surprised to discover everybody who works in corporate video had time in LA and New York on the big shoots and then left for corporate, (laughs) which is like interesting. Um, I kind of like it. So the question is, is like, how can we help? Which like, I love this question. Thank you, William Birchfield. So like, what a killer question. Big fan. So here are my answers on how you could help. Uh, and the, so the real theme here is like practical solidarity and promotion. And what, what I mean by that is practical solidarity means like when the time comes, if there is a strike, we all stop consuming all media that is against the strike. So if shows continue on and are like, we're going to go on with a non-union crew and we watch lights fall from the scaffolding and whatnot, like we're not going to like, you know. We're not going to consume any of that the same way we don't eat Oreo cookies when Nabisco is on strike. Like we're going to like solidarity is we're all, we should all stick together in the, we're going to watch some old movies that are unrelated to the strike for a while. We should actually, if there's a strike, we should do an old movie watch club where we list an old movie that everybody should watch that week of like, you know, or, or international or something of just like, this is not today. We watch battle of Algiers or whatever. So that is like one thing. The other thing you can totally do is promotion to normals. You know, I like, I remember last Christmas having a big conversation with my father-in-law about work conditions in the movie industry. And he had no idea. And like, I've been married for a while. Like he's known me for like eight years now. And like, I realized he had no idea what film shoots were like. Like he just didn't. He just only knew the glamorous parts of like, it's so cool you work in movies and all the like adventures and the, the fun places. And and he was like, that's so great. And I was like, well, yeah, but like, you know, we had a long talk about like what the working conditions are like. And, you know, I had a coffee yesterday with another professor about like professory stuff, but they teach in a different department. They're in um, urban planning. I want to do like bike specific urban planning movies. So I reached out to the urban planning people and like, I explained to them all about the strike. And they were like, I had no idea. I didn't know work conditions in film were like that. I didn't even know this Mm. strike was coming. And I was like, I know, right? So like, if a strike happens, we are going to need a lot of people not in the film industry to understand why this is happening really fast. Because the big misconception of everyone who doesn't work in film is that it is glamorous. And there are moments that are glamorous, but it is also really hard physical labor with terribly shitty hours. And like, I think the mission of everybody who wants to support 
the strike is going to be a messaging mission with all of those people who are like, hey, how come half my favorite shows are gone right now? And how come the other half, the jokes aren't funny and a light fell on Stephen Colbert's head? I mean, I don't <laughs> think Stephen Colbert is going to stab, scab. I just picked a random late night host. But like, what always happens in these circumstances is I still, I the other day I was listening to a podcast that made a joking reference about the WGA strike being at fault for why reality television is a thing. And it was like a podcast I really like with a host who's really smart, but like reality television predates the WGA strike by like eight years. You cannot blame the prevalence of reality television on the WGA strike. It's not the WGA strike's fault, but like we get these little messages when like, oh, this strike led to like this thing I don't like about the world. And it's like, no, the WGA strike led to a couple a, a terrible season of Friday Night Lights, like season two of Friday Night Lights, everyone acknowledges is the strike season and was gibberish. And like a couple of months of bad late night television. But it also led to a whole bunch of writers and other people in the industry negotiating for residuals on streaming media that like has kept their pensions funded and kept people writing and and led to the growth of an industry. So it's there's gonna be a big messaging thing where a lot of people that are genuinely good people are not gonna understand why their favorite shows are not happening. And like explaining to them what it is really like, I think is going to be everybody's messaging job. You know, also picket lines are great. And if there is one you can go to, if a strike comes, you should go to it. My students actually, God, they warmed my heart. They were like, can we do a field trip to a picket line? And I was like, if there is one in New York on a day we have class, yes, we will do a field trip to that a picket so line. That is so cool. My students <laughs> rule. Awesome. But like, I don't know you know, I mean, look, we're all still hoping there is not a strike. Like the goal is a strike authorization vote is enough power because like strikes suck. Like you're not making money. Nobody wants to strike. You want the threat of a strike to get what you what you want. So I'm not saying there's definitely going to be a strike. I'm just saying if it is, messaging will be a big yeah, part. Yeah, I would say that there is a potential. This is also maybe me speaking a little bit from my bubble, but I think there's something of a fetishization of striking without thinking a lot about the people it impacts. I'm thinking back to, I think there was an actor strike and I knew a lot of people in SAG and stuff who were very, maybe around the new media deal. You, you seem to have a very good memory of the timeline of these things, Charles, but I, I know, I mean, obviously I remember that writer's strike well too. I think there's a lot of excitement sometimes within this, this community of like, Hey, we're going to be like, real workers here <laughs> we're gonna strike and like it's great and i'm all for that like i really am but i think that sometimes the impact that it has on people's livelihoods is ignored because when sag strikes for what it needs and should strike for like that's when a lot of the people in iatsi like get frustrated because they don't get to work and they live job to job so you can like that's there there are consequences unintended and and I don't know how if necessary or what but like a strike would be very bad for a lot of people who live closer to the edge than you know maybe the big scary producer who you're trying to pressure in a way to make a concessions or make changes like so some people will be unaffected some people will strike knowing that they're going to be the most affected, but it's worth it. And I've heard people in LA, we've teachers union, there's been lots of talks, there've been strikes. I know people who've been around a while in the teachers union in LA who will say things like, hey, we, we went on strike all those years ago, so today we would have blah, 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 blah. Like, as you always say, Charles, too, like, this stuff was paid for in blood. So my thinking is like, how do you support it? I think be aware that my thinking is a good way to support it is to be aware of all the nuance involved, to try and learn some of that and ident- and be res- be understanding, I guess, of what people are put at, what's at stake for a lot of people. Another thing you can do, I loved your thing of like informing the normals. At first, when you said that, I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. Who are the normals? And then I realized, oh yeah, no, it's true. Oh yeah, and or just have no clue and don't even want to know how the sausage is made or they'll find out one little thing and be like, what, really? That's weird. Who cares? But like, that's the majority of the film going and television watching public, by the way, like for those of us who are in this bubble in this community, like most people in the world who consume it do not care how it is made or what goes into it or who does what they might think it's all shot in order and the actors make up the words. I don't know, but whatever, but it's true. They like, so for us to tell them like, no, actually like there's a, 
person who works very hard and has to make ends meet who's putting makeup on them before every shot and that person can't make a living and blah, 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 blah. And otherwise you get no James Bond, you know? And I think that that stuff is important to be communicated about. So I agree with you there. I think that another way to support is to, maybe this sounds a little Pollyanna-ish, but I just think we should always try to be the change we want to see in the world. And so I think you should always strive to, going back to what Kath kind of mentioned earlier, like be the boss you want to have, treat people the way you want to be treated, treat people like human beings and have the leeway. And in the grand scheme of things, recognize that you're unlikely to become a Jobs or a Bezos ever. So just try not to be a jerk, like be nice to the people around you. Like the ends don't justify the means and the pro- the movie you're making. Everybody always seems to think like it's worth whatever it takes. It's not ever. I think that's something that nobody around here, like most of the things that we pr- we produce in this business are, are not great and that's okay. I'm not saying they all should be, but like none of them are worth the suffering. And I think that's just something we should carry with us. Like, I think we should all believe and live by that. Like the like work is like, we don't have a very good relationship in this country. This is not limited to the entertainment industry, but between work and, and, and life, they become too fused in terms of our value as human beings, in terms of our, how we value one another, in terms of what we do with our time. Like there are so many more important things. And I think if you treat people well, that's a greater reward. And I think it's a reminder that that's important. And I, while I still agree, last thing I'll say, like, while I still agree, that's the nature of the system. Everybody is going to pay as little as possible. It would be nice if we could all crack the door open a jar and consider maybe that's not always the best thing to do. Maybe getting the most for the least is not the way we should think of life and human beings. So that's my spiel on that. I think you guys have really summed up well, like what folks who are not directly involved with our industry can do to support. I think I have a thought that's sort of tangential, but I think is still relevant in that I think so many of us that are that work in this industry only know or predominantly know other folks who work in this industry. Like that's the who we spend most of our time with. In many cases, like until recently, I'd only ever worked in the film industry and only knew the kind of management styles, levels of pay, schedule, like those sorts of things that were relevant to the film industry and not other industries. And so I think even though IATSE is striking, there's still, or has this has voted yes uh, for the strike authorization, there's still this almost like a sense of like, not necessarily even knowing what else could be possible. You know, what I think of like, what kind of, what, what our sets could look like. Our, our idea of it is still kind of limited because we're just trying to like do damage control at this point. But there are other industries that exist and other ways of managing and other ways of running a business that are much more humane and much more life-giving. And so I feel like there's, I want to see sort of more communication between people about how to be better managers and how to run our industry better. And I don't know if that's necessarily something that William Birchfield could do, but I feel like I just want to see like more education or more, I don't know, more discussion around thinking beyond just like, you know, we need at least 10 hours of sleep or ten a 10 hour turnaround. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a bigger conversation than that. And we yeah. don't want to, we don't want to beg for scraps when we could be like, what, what could this industry look like? And frankly, what could we make under those conditions? Mm-hmm. C- could it all be better? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that this—that's this is a, you make a good point there, both of you. I do think that there's been a lot of other industries that have shown that through progressiveness in the workplace, HR campaigns, like this industry is always late to the party on so many things, like even you know technology that we use like to to track our 
Yeah, everything. Like there's so there's so many ways the industry holds on to this industry holds on to the past that I wonder if there's a model of like leadership that that's been successful in the corporate world that has become efficient. There's a way, there's a culture that that keeps people sane and employed and engaged and alive and healthy that doesn't exist so much here that we could model on. Because hey, here you're doing it because it's the dream. I think that I think that is a way of tricking people and abusing them. And I think we need to drop that personally. For sure. And then to wrap it up, in a practical level, if there's a strike, there's likely going to be a strike fund or a mutual aid donation that you can make to support strikers. I mean, the vast majority of film workers work gig to gig and need the income they make on those gigs to survive. And usually when there's strikes, there's some way to donate in a way that offers and it's and it's, you know, it's it's cash or it's goods. Like if you want to you know, go out and like, you know, uh, donate canned goods or donate, what you know, whatever it is. Like there will be opportunities if it does come to a strike to s- directly support the strikers. And we shouldn't forget that that's also super useful. Like unions have strike reserves, but also public support, financial or practical or whatever it is, is an important part of it too. If it comes to that. Awesome. Well, that was the No Film School podcast for the strike authorization <laughs> week. <laughs> And also Russian films in space. I'm Charles Hain. I'm on the internet at charleshain.com or insta at charleshain or Twitter at charleshain, although you'll get a lot of bike stuff. I'm Kath Tolentino, filmmaker. You can find me online at katherinetolentino.com and on Instagram at borderwoman.pictures. And I'm George Edelman, editor-in-chief at No Film School. You can find me on Twitter at George Edelman. You can also find everything we talked about today and more on nofilmschool.com. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, check out our Instagram and our YouTube channel. Be sure to check out our other interviews. They drop typically on a Tuesday of the week, sometimes like this week on Friday, which is tomorrow, we will have a special episode with some of the filmmakers behind No Time to Die, the James Bond movie. And of course, this weekly show, which drops every Thursday. And we love hearing from you. So email your questions like the question today and comments to editor at nofilmschool.com. And thank you for listening.